Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Reinsurance Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jared Lee. And I'm Ben Rose. And today, we're both wearing our Supersede t-shirts because we, we did a thing. We did a thing. We're <laughs> proud of it. <laughs> Coming soon. No, it's out now. Yeah, out now. Out now. Our most recent uh, white paper. Indeed, which is always exciting. We haven't done one for a while, actually. But we haven't. This one more than makes up for the gap in delay because it's filled with the... I was going to say the brain juice of many people, but that sounds a bit gross. The insights. <laughs> All <laughs> so your gray matter is in our way. <laughs> so much gray matter, except in supersede blue yeah. color schemes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, it's we basically designers. spent uh, the best part of four or five months, actually, just yeah. touring around the industry and turning lots of conversations with, with underwriters into a, a bit of a, a survey, a bit of an interview around yep. how they grapple with what has come to be known as the reinsurance data crisis. Yeah. Well, if we if we spend a j just a moment, just a moment at, at the start of why we why we sort of thought of this paper, what we wanted to do was we were having all of the conversations around data work and other things that are happening in the industry, and getting these little bits of anecdotes from reinsurers around what they're needing to do and how they're compensating and adjustments they're needing to make along the way. And the more we kind of talked about those things just anecdotally, internally, like there's something here. There's a, there's something the re, the market is trying to convey that there's not been a, a route in which they can sort of say, here's what we do, and then building a, so a sort of narrative around that. So I think the objective was to sort of then go around and sort of structurally have tons of conversations. We, we have hundreds of hours of interviews. Um, and try to get a consensus around what is what happens in the market actually when you're given like here's a zip file with 34 different sheets in it and all these different tabs and sometimes there's just errors that you can't reconcile like what does that mean like everyone knows like it's bad <laughs> but but t tell us what that means and that was sort of what we've gone out and done in this paper and meanwhile We've made this this brief podcast, and it is deliberately brief. We are under strict instructions from Cordy that this podcast has to be only a third as good as the white paper maximum. Uh, so we, I may sort of wave angrily like Jared <laughs> at times to stop him talking to make sure we don't give away any of the, the secrets buried within uh, because we naturally we do want you to actually go and read this, uh, this white paper. You don't want to just hear it from us. You want to hear directly from our many senior contributors from around the industry yeah. uh, and and learn a bit about what really happens behind the scenes when reinsurers receive data that's not up to scratch. But they don't need to delay. In the show notes of this podcast, there's a link. They can click it. I and feel like right then, and you, right then, you're going to have the pod. Right, you can read the white paper whilst listening to our podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs> what's, what's the? They normally do point it like, there like there's a, a button here. <laughs> I don't know if, can do, if we have the capability to do that, but our, anyway. all of our design efforts been on the white paper. There's no time for buttons, Ben. There's no time for exactly. pointing buttons. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of where we we went off. But as so as we did all these papers and and all these interviews and we sort of structuring the insights, what we got, um, Ben did a huge amount of lifting on sort of the bringing the paper together and putting words behind what we wanted to say, but not without a reinsurance twist, mind. Oh, indeed, yes. So, so you will discover as you open the paper that it is somewhat resemblant of 
I think that's a word. It is. A, of, of familiar structures that, that you may have encountered in your work in the reinsurance industry before. Uh, we have built a tower of information, which we would attempt to give you a sort of brief walkthrough here today on the show so you know what to expect. how deep our love for reinsurance goes. Even yeah. the structure of our white papers looks like a tower. We're continuously reinstating <laughs> our credentials. <laughs> um, no, but the... Uh, the the paper is brilliant. Please do actually stop listening now and go and check it out because you won't regret it. And then you'll enjoy the recap when you resume this episode yeah. in case you glossed over any of the, the extra special bits that are hidden yeah. within its pages. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Thank you for taking a moment to go away and, and read the paper. If you didn't, one more chance. <laughs> That's it. Well done. Well done. Okay. So now welcome back again. Uh, having read the paper, I will just give give you a recap after reading it now uh, of what the sort of general theme of the paper is basically i we discovered to actually our astonishment i think i, I don't think either of us imagined i finding what we found out mm. but the we all knew i think beforehand that data in the industry was rubbish that was sort of the context i that even the firms that were doing the best it tended to be the best of a bad bunch versus what the reinsurers actually wanted to yep. be able to use uh, but what i think was very surprising within that was the uniformity of response uh, at the core and then the variety of like extended responses yep. that we found through the industry when an underwriter is grappling with, with bad data. And I think, you know, at, at its at its front, it came out in things like, one, uh, underwriters naming exactly the same rough levels of pricing load that they would apply every single time, like literally, you know, 80% of the underwriters that we spoke to would give us the exact same range of figures between which they would add a pricing load. I, clients individually named for having really bad data, which obviously we didn't put uh, in the report, but I, you know, typically we're seeing just a really, really uh, consistent approach to dealing with uncertainty of information in the, in the reinsurance industry. It seems to be like a secret background practice i don't know if there's like a a conclave of underwriters internationally who all meet together to coordinate how they're doing this but i guess it's it's common practice it's trained it's shared as people move from firm to firm and they say you know how do we deal with this this looks a bit dodgy yeah. oh well we take that and then we do this and yeah. so the paper explores in a bit of detail how how underwriters are actually doing this but usually quite consistent approaches to dealing yeah. with dodgy data yeah um but after going into all of the the issues and, and how underwriters tend to respond, uh, we get all of our interviewees' views on what to do about it. You know, what should you focus on? What makes you win the beauty contest? And being a hard market, we are very much in beauty contest territory right now. Uh, we talk about uh, the importance of transparency. We go into the debate about is showing more going to hurt you or help you? Yep. Uh, and then finally, we talk a bit about how this industry as a whole could start to lean into some some innovation yeah. uh, with the help of better data. Yeah. There's a as we unpack things, there was a ton of uniformity in the answers. That that was surprising to me. As we sort of lined up our our interviewers or interviewees as we started the process, I was expecting massive deviations for how one firm would land and how they thought about it to others. And the broad alignment into like the handful of ways that they really apply um, the, the impact that it has as they look at evaluating a, a seedance data, um, I thought was really, really interesting. One of my one of the bigger surprises I took 
the other one that we you touched on uh, is sort of the, in the structure, but the people putting down their pen. That mm-hmm. was one of the other things that I hadn't thought of going into or wasn't expecting it to be as prominent as it as it featured. But reinsurers going, yeah, we have this much of a capacity here, but we'll we'll have that or take a huge portion of that away just because we're not sure. Like one of the ways to protect themselves against uncertainty was just go, we just didn't give them very much capacity. Yeah. For our downside was was reduced that way. And in those kind of, like it's a hard market. Capital's hard to come by. And and so that really jumped out at me, jumped out to me as one of the real, real impacts that you saw. Yeah, completely. I, I think that that was huge. And it also fed into this, I guess, getting inside the underwriters' heads a bit. Mm-hmm. Um the way and, and it was acknowledged as a change a few times when it was discussed, but acknowledging the way that we've shifted from a kind of one at a time approach to underwriting mm-hmm. to a much more of a portfolio approach. So underwriters knowing this is how much we need in our premium pool for this portfolio. We're now going to go out and choose roughly how much we want to get from these various client types, segments, etc., And we'll choose based on where we're most confident in what we're getting into. Yep. Um, and that goes you know, flies in the face of traditional narratives of like every account underwritten on its merits <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and yeah. people going and whining and dining each other and having these great relationships where they, you know, get the best deals. When in, in reality, actually, a lot of the time, like you really have to earn special individual treatment and yeah. to earn special individual treatment, you've got to have the data that stacks up for underwriters you know, we had quite a few underwriters talking about their committee processes how mm-hmm. you know if they want to deviate from the process and look at an account differently to the standard way of pricing things internally they have to go through all these internal steps which they will not do unless they feel like they're backed up yeah. by a pretty robust data set so tons of little impacts we hadn't well, and i think in many ways what's happened is the reinsurers have gotten more sophisticated over the last couple decades quite drastically so um so what used to have been a, yeah, we always get kind of all this like hodgepodge of data, but that person's good people. They've never let us down before. That client's always been reliable and they've always been in the ballpark. And that was good enough for a long time. Reinsurers now have a higher threshold of like proving it. Like I trust you're being honest and you're like, you have to back it up now. And because the reinsurers are becoming more sophisticated it's really, really hard to get approval from these committees and get, a, you know, something extra, special treatment, if you can't provide the data that the reinsurer will use to justify that. So in many ways, the reinsurer's sophistication around in understanding in their own risks and their portfolio strategies and everything else is creating this demand for mm-hmm. some better data to justify behaviors that before they could have justified based on nothing more than the quality of a relationship or the size of an account. And that's beginning to no longer be the case. Absolutely. And I, th- I think tied into that as well, we were able to get a bit of a view into what goes on behind the scenes of these relationships because at the moment, you know, internal things don't really get exposed in the going for, you know, a catch-up call between the, the student and the broker or the broker going for a, a lunch with the underwriters to discuss where we're at with the placement, mm-hmm. etc. Uh, but we really got to go behind the scenes in this report and see, okay, what what's actually happening, you know, when you're sat as an underwriter with a pile of submissions, how do you decide which one to start with? How do you get the data from the, the pack into whatever it needs to go into next? And 
I was really astonished by the extent to which and the frequency with which it was mentioned that basically I the nudge effect yeah. is huge when it when it comes to well, we've got the really tough ones, which are a pain and we know are gonna kill us, that we avoid like the plague for as long as possible. The easy ones where it's like, Oh, the data's great, we start with right away and as a result, you know, their their client experience is like we're the best underwriters ever because we get back to them within you know the day yeah because their data is so good yeah i um, whereas on the other hand i if your data is pretty bad there is all the relationship chat going on around like oh yes we're hard at work doing your data actually typically they're not they're kicking it down the road trying to avoid it because they just really don't want to spend their day sifting through your rubbish kind of nonsense excel file or trying to retype from your pdf uh, file that you kindly yeah. provided all of your data in yeah, and there was very much um, this sentiment of "let us help you, help us help you," yeah. right? The which I think the brokers echo very loudly as well, right? Yeah, so. absolutely. And and brokers yeah. were involved in the conversations that we did in the market as well. But there's one we're going, and this was this was almost a, a happen chance result was the fact that this came is coming out during the hard market or in, in the middle of a hard market where programs are being restructured the need by which you have to evaluate various pricing options and things you might want to uh, buy in the market and if you don't have data that allows you to quickly do that work you're then going to be sort of handcuffed to just kind of what you've been doing Um, and then similarly in a hard market you do not want to be moved to the bottom of the pile of your reinsurance partners like that is going to result in something worse and the 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 better this faster you can sort of be oh i picked them off the top because i know it's going to be the best sort of few hours i'll spend on this one get i'll be off to the race i'll send them my reply back and then move down the list like if you're towards the bottom it's just it's just just, there's no scenario that's the best spot to be in a hard market and so all of this is beginning to align i think that message was also being reiterated quite strongly by the reinsurers and just to wrap up, because I know we're short on time, uh, let me share with you some of the best quotes from the paper. Here they are at the link. Click on it. <laughs> Go and look. Go and read the amazing paper. And uh, we look forward to hearing your thoughts. Get in touch. Let us know if those those findings resonate with you as well, if you weren't already one of the contributors, yeah. in which case enjoy reading your, your own thoughts and seeing how much they were shared by yeah. the wider community. Thank you, everyone. See you soon.